0: Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. After a week of vacation, a woman was surprised at church the next Sunday when another woman who had often snubbed her went out of her way to give her a big hug before the service. She wondered, man, what initiated that change of heart. So she got her answer at the end of the gathering that morning uh, when the pastor instructed, your assignment for next week is the same as last week. I want you to go out there and love somebody you just can't stand. The desire of my heart that I think that the Holy Spirit has placed. and I'm not trying to be mystical, but I I feel like the Lord put this in my heart. Um, I'm just going to leave that there. And it is to reinvigorate our our hearts as a church family, to re-energize us, if you would, with passion and commitment, to to look again with devotion at what God has called us to do. And what he's called us to do is to be agents of transformation in our community. He, he wants us, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, I'm going to say it again, he doesn't want us to be content with just being a church, an established church in a corner. He wants us to actually be a church who is transformational and what I mean by that is that that we make a difference that we actually impact and affect things around us so that they change and, and I would suggest for better Jesus says that we're to be salt and light right we're to be salt and light and those two metaphors I mean they're, they're an implication of good salt preserves light illumines and and so that's what God desires for us as a church family that we'd be preserving in our in our culture in our our community and that we'd be illuminating how it is that society and culture flourishes and so I, I, I want I want God to renew that desire in our hearts to actually you know be transformational and be changing Jesus said pray like this and he taught us to pray He said pray to God your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and, uh, and I believe that that's not just a prayer that we're praying for God to do that apart from us. I think that is a prayer that we're praying, in, in essence, like, this God, use me so that your will would be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven. I believe that's the kind of idea that Jesus had behind, behind that uh, prayer. And and so I have been sharing with you what I think is necessary for for us to accomplish that, for us to renew that, that passion. And I said, what's going to be necessary is for us to go back and do some things we used to do. You remember when, uh, when Jesus wrote to or, or spoke to the church at Ephesus, he said to them, you've lost your first love, now go back and do the things you used to do. And so the first week of this this series of talks, I asked you to embrace Jesus again with the same love and passion that maybe you had for him at the beginning. And remember I said, if you you don't have passion for Jesus, if you don't love Jesus, maybe this would be the time for you to embrace loving Jesus for the very first time. And then last week we talked about embracing uh, God's training for us. And I suggested that God's training for us as believers and followers of Jesus is the apostles teaching. And so we should recommit ourselves to, to investing and learning in uh, the Lord's, I mean, the apostles' teaching. I I was really encouraged this morning when a a sister in our church was telling me how she asked her husband if he had leaned in this past week. And he said, I think I have leaned into the apostles' teaching. And uh, she said, and, and I said, I've leaned into the apostles' teaching too. Someone suggested last week after the gathering, they said, you know, you should have challenged us to be involved in Sunday school. You know, because Sunday School is a time that we're saying, we're devoting that 45 minutes to the apostles' teaching. That's the goal, the apostles' teaching. And you should have encouraged people to come to that. And you are right, I should have done that. Or home groups for that matter. But, but maybe specifically Sunday School, which we have as a purpose, the apostles' teaching, right? And, and so I'd like to do that. Today, I wanna add a third embrace. And, and here's the embrace, to change the world to change our, let me back, I'm sorry, I went too far. To change our community and then to change the world. We, we have to embrace the family of God. We've got to embrace the church. We've got to embrace the ecclesia, that's the Greek word for the called out ones. We have to embrace God's household, God's people. And so when I say God wants us to embrace the church, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like up for grabs, embrace the church. I mean, I think this is imperative. If we're ever gonna change our community, we have to embrace His, his church. So I wanna start with talking about what do I mean by the church? In the Bible, there's several metaphors that that, that God gives us, I think, in the apostles' teaching to help us understand what the church is. And I'm gonna get to them, but I wanna share a few modern metaphors that people use for the church. These were identified by a pastor named Tom Nettles, and uh, he said they're distorted and unhelpful, and I'd like to share them with you as I begin, because I agree with him. So some people think of the church as a gas station. You know, I I come in here Sunday and I fill up my spiritual tank when it's running low. So I I come to church like a gas station. Others would say, the church is more like a theater. I come to church to watch the show, right? The, the pastor and the singers and all of that. And, and so it's like a theatrical presentation that I get inspired by. Same sort of idea as the gas tank, I mean, the gas station. I'm getting inspired to carry on in the week. Others would use the metaphor of a church as like a hospital. Hey, when I'm hurting and when, I'm, when I need help, I go to church. And still for others, the church is like a program dispenser. It's the place I go for my kids, you know, because I got good programs for my kids and a lot of good stuff for my my kids. And so we kind of see the church as like this, this retail program place, right? Where we can find the best stuff for our kids. And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest, I've talked like that. I've spoken like that about the church. I've had those sort of thoughts about the church, but I agree with Pastor Tom. I, I think they're inaccurate and I don't necessarily think they're all that helpful. But what does the Bible, how does the Bible metaphorically tell us what the church is? Well. The text we're going to use this morning is Ephesians 2, 11 through the end of the chapter. And and in these verses, I'm really excited to share this with you. So what I'm going to do is we're going to work our way through those verses, and I'm going to show you three metaphors that the apostles gave us to help us understand what the church is. And then my goal is at the end of that, I'm going to give you some practical ways by which you should embrace uh, the church. That's that's my plan. So as we begin, let's look at verse 11. I want to give you the context or the backdrop background for these metaphors so the text we begin in verse 11 so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised which is done in the flesh by human hands at that time you were without Christ without Messiah excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus is located really in, in the center of the, of the former Greek empire and now the Roman empire. It's on that Silk Road. The, the church in, in Ephesus is mostly composed of men and women who are not Jewish, who've come to believe in the Lord Jesus. They're Gentiles, and their numbers are increasing. Paul has been their pastor, was their uh, pastor, apostle for over two years in Ephesus. And when he left or after he left at some point, he sent Timothy and Timothy can, can continue to serve there. In fact, in your Bible, first and second Timothy are written to Timothy while he's at the church at Ephesus, sort of leading there being the lead apostle, lead pastor over those believers. He reminds them, these believers, that he's had a part in their life. He reminds them, he says, in the past there was a distinction between the Gentiles and the Jews. He said, you Gentiles, they're primarily Gentiles, and he's primarily writing to the Gentile believers. He says, you were called the uncircumcision by those who were the circumcision, that thing done by the flesh, by with hands, right? He reminds them that they weren't Jewish. He reminds them that they were Gentiles, that they weren't looking for the, Messiah. He says to them, you were separated from the covenant people of Israel. You and them were not the same. He says, uh, they didn't know of them. He says, they, you guys didn't know the, the God like the Jews did because he hadn't revealed himself to you guys. You, you um, I'm using the word guys. All right, so you guys, yeah, these guys. Uh, they, they didn't the, the, the Gentile believers in Ephesus, they didn't, before they became the believers, they didn't, they didn't understand the things that God had revealed to Israel the last the last sentence of what i just read you it says paul said to them you're without hope and without god in the world now i want to talk about that line for just a minute before we go to the metaphors what exactly paul meant by that line i'm not sure but i want to tell you what i don't think he meant i don't think he meant that the gentiles were hopeless from god's perspective or that god didn't care about them or that god didn't love them we believe We believe the Bible teaches that uh, God so loved the world, right? God has always loved the world, but God chose this group of people, Israel. In fact, he made them a nation and he said, you're going to be my nation and you're going to be my people and he chose them. But listen, he didn't choose them because he only loved them. He didn't choose them because, I don't even think he chose them because he loved them best. Now they came to think that. They came to think that they were the only ones that God loved. They got it wrong if i called katie my middle daughter this morning or this afternoon and i said hey listen i'm choosing you to dispense five thousand dollars that i want to give to you and your siblings i'm choosing you to take care of it and maybe the reason i'm choosing her is because she lives central to all of them you know she's kind of in the middle or maybe maybe i'm choosing her because she's really good with finances or whatever but if i choose katie to dispense $5,000 that I wanna give to her siblings, it doesn't mean that I love Katie more than the rest of them. It simply means that I'm choosing Katie to to do this thing I need because I love all of them. And I want you to understand that I absolutely believe that with all my heart, that God's choice of Israel is not because he loves them, but because he loves all the nations of the world. And he said, through you, Abraham, I'm gonna bless all the nations. So God wasn't trying to say, if we wanna go back and look at what Paul said Says that you Gentiles, you people who are not Jewish, you're without hope and without God in the world. I don't believe he's trying to say God doesn't love you or God didn't have any. God, there was no hope for you to come to God apart from, you know, before now. I don't think that's what he's saying. So what do I believe uh, he's saying? I, I, here's what I think Paul's, because I'm, w- I'm not willing to believe that, I'm not willing to believe. I admit it. I don't believe that God was saying he didn't love the Gentiles or he didn't care about them or they're without hope. Here's what I think he meant. I think he was saying, when he says that you're without God, I think he means you didn't have the specific revelation of God that the Jews had. In fact, I think that's going to come out as we go through these metaphors. But you don't have the revelation that you were without God in the sense that, yes, you have God in creation. Yes, you have God in your heart. But the very specific things that, that who I am that's been revealed to the Jews, you didn't have that. And when he says, when he says over here, you're without hope, I, I think he's meaning you don't not you did have hope of eternal life apart from Messiah and God because you just didn't know because it hadn't been revealed to you, but now it has been. So with that little bit of backdrop, let's let's look at the first metaphor. The first metaphor that Paul gives us for the church, which I'm calling you to embrace with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, is, is that we are the body, one body of Christ. We are one body of Christ, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, now in Messiah Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, that is in his incarnation, in his coming, he made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. This is so good, this is so good. Paul says, when Messiah came, that is the anointed king that we've been waiting for that you didn't know about, you didn't understand. When he came together by his blood, by his death, what he did was he dismantled the first covenant. And he brought peace by dismantling that first covenant and and he brought peace between these two groups. He literally says he made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What is the church? The church is one body, it's one group of people composed of both Jews and Gentiles. There is now no more division. The first covenant divided us between the Jews and everyone else because the Jews were God's special chosen people. Jesus tore that division down by his death in the cross. And so now, today, in the church, there is no more Jew or Gentile. The, the called out ones, the, the one body, that's us. There's no more ethnic divide within the people of God. In verse 15, it says, in his life Jesus made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. What does that mean? Jesus did away with the old covenant, the rules and the, and the regulations and the laws of the old custom, covenant, Jesus did away with them. How did he do away with them? He fulfilled them, it says. He, he, they represented a lot of them, pointed to him, and by his coming and by his death, he fulfilled them. But however you look at it, he did away with those laws. They are no longer in effect. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. I know this might be new to some of you, okay? Or this might not be exactly what you've been taught. And so I could be wrong, you could be right, but I don't think I'm wrong. In Hebrews chapter eight, verse 13, it says, by saying a new covenant, this is different book, different, different author, but the author of Hebrews says, by saying a new covenant, listen, God has declared that the first is obsolete. The first covenant is now obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. And I think what Paul is saying here is that the old covenant passed away in the Lord Jesus by his death. And that means the Jewish laws and regulations were fulfilled in Christ. And there is no longer a need for a group of people of Jewish heritage to follow those commands because that covenant has been done away. And in the death of Jesus, he has brought these two different groups together. So so that it says, it continues, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. God created something new out of the Jews and the Gentiles. This new man, who is this new man? Well, this new man is the follower of Jesus. This new man is the Christian. This new man is the disciple. And so we get to the metaphor in verse 16. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death Jesus did away between the hostility that was never God's intention between the Jews and the Gentiles he erased it he eradicated it he brought us all together in one now Paul elaborates on this metaphor of one body later on in this same letter chapter 4 he says Jesus is the head of the body what are we we're the body right We're the body of the Lord Jesus. To the church at Corinth and to the church at Rome, he uses the same metaphor again. He says, we're one body. In this this case, he's trying to say, each of you have different parts. You're the eyeball or the toe or the finger or the heart or whatever. You're different parts that make up the body. This metaphor continues. But for now, in this particular incident, Paul is saying the church is the body, this one body of believers composed of men and women of every ethnicity, of every walk of life, of every race. And God has removed the hostility between all of us. So you know what that means? That means the Palestinian Christian and the Israeli Christian, they can be brothers and there is no more hostility between them. You know what this means? That the former jihadist and the American missionary. They can become brothers in the body of Christ because there is no more. There is this no more distinction. Jesus has made the two men one. He's done away with the, the first covenant that separated us. Jesus fulfilled it and did away with it. Here's the second metaphor. The second metaphor is that we are one family. Verse 17. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with saints and members of God's household. Those who were far off from the covenants were the Gentiles. They were us, people like us. Some of you know Zach has Jewish heritage, but maybe most of us in this room, we're all Gentiles. And, and, and back then, we were far off from the covenants. I mean, we didn't know the, the revelation. What, what advantage was it to be Jewish? Man, you had all the covenants. You had all the laws. You had the revelation of who God was. The Gentiles didn't have that. You were far off, Right. And here Paul says, we're proclaiming good news that those of you who are far off Gentiles and those of you who are close, you're Jewish, you've been made one and you all have both. You both now have access in one body to the Father through his spirit. And, and then he goes on, let me, let me go on. I don't wanna get ahead of myself. Then he gets to the metaphor. And in the metaphor here, he says, we are all fellow citizens with the saints, and members of God's household. In other words, we're family. We're no longer foreigners. We're no longer strangers to each other. And we're we're even better than that. We are the household of God. We are family. And I'm not sure why, but this is my favorite, personally, this is my favorite metaphor for the church. We are family. We're God's kids. He's our Abba. If you don't know what Abba means, Abba was the, the uh, affectionate way of saying father. And I don't know what you called your father, but I didn't call him father. If you call him father, that's great. I, I called him daddy, right? And then I called him dad. They call you papa, right? So there's affectionate ways of, and, and, and that's what the New Testament teaches us, that whether you're Jewish and close or Gentile and far away, you're all now one family with direct access to God through the Spirit. We are, we are family, and I, and I tell you what, I, I think the reason why this is so important to me is I think the greatest gift that God ever gave us was family, I mean, that's my opinion. I mean, after life, he gave me life. Without life, there's nothing, right? But he gave me life, but after that, I think one of the greatest, if not the greatest gift of all is family. A place where people love me, or love us, and let me make it plural, love us and cherish us, and they're, they're with us, and they, they serve us and they are served by us and they unconditionally accept us and when we screw up and mess up and fall down, they unconditionally help us up and and they're willing to confront us when we need to be confronted and help us when we need to be helped. Massimo, I just, I love family. And for some of you, family wasn't like that and I get it. I get it, some of you had dysfunctional families and so what I'm talking about is, is strange to you. But let me tell you what family was supposed to be Family was supposed to be what I just said to you a minute ago, a place where you're cherished, a place where you're unconditionally loved, a place where you're helped, a place where you know, you're supported, a place where you're challenged when you're wrong, all of that. And that's what Jesus made us family. And, and if you would just take the metaphor of the biological family, you know we, we, we share the same blood. Did you know that? We're family because we share the same blood. Not the DNA kind of blood that runs and courses through my kids and, and me. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus that is what has united us as a family. We share the same blood. We share the same ancestry too. Did you know that? All our brothers and sisters that have gone on before us who have laid down their lives for Christ, the, the great men of old, the great women of old, they are our ancestors. They are, the, they are the, the great cloud of witnesses that is out there for us to see. And they are family. They are our ancestry. That's what the church is. It's a unified body, but it's a family. Here's the third metaphor. Verse 20. You are members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. So here's the third metaphor. We are the temple of God. We're the temple of God, the holy temple of God. Now, in the first covenant under Israel, when God, when God chose, and I shouldn't say chose, God made Israel. God made them and, and he chose them and he made them into a nation. When he did that, he, he gave them a temple, right? It was a literal stone and mortar temple and he actually he put his presence in that place i mean he took it from there a couple of times but he also put his presence in that place but in 70 a.d the armies of god (laughs) they were the armies of rome but they were the armies of god they destroyed the temple and then god in my opinion this is just jimmy's opinion but in my opinion god embedded two mosques on top of the temple mount so the temple would never be rebuilt that's just jimmy's that's jimmy's speculation okay but here's the thing I want you to see. When, when, when God rendered the first covenant obsolete and said it's passing away, I, I think what he meant was that the temple would be destroyed and there would no longer be any more sacrificial system at all, no more Jewish sacrificial system. And there isn't one, right? He, he took it, the temple away, and, and I personally don't think it will ever come back. But here, he didn't leave himself without a temple, everyone, listen. This is, this is the teaching of the New Testament. He did not leave himself without a temple. We are the temple of God. That's, that's what he says right there in the text. You, on the foundation of the apostles' teaching, and on the cornerstone that is Jesus our King and our Messiah, God has built a new temple. And you know what the stones of the temple are? Peter tells us that. The stones of the temple are you, Landon, you're a stone. Russell, you're a stone. We're all stones in the temple that God is building. And, uh, and, he's, and Peter, I mean, Paul doesn't say that in these verses, but I think it's what he's implying when he says, being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What is the church? The church is the temple of God. It is where the presence of God dwells. And listen, he's never taking it from us either. He's never gonna remove his presence from his people. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, he says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy and that is what you are. And in all of those words, it's all plural. He's not saying, Rich, you are the temple of God. And, and there's a sense in which you are the temple of God. But when you find it throughout the scriptures, in almost every single case, it's not Rich as the temple of God, but Rich and Nancy and Jamie and Ken and Angie and, and just all of us together are the temple of God. We're the stones built on the foundation that the apostles laid with Jesus being our chief cornerstone. And that is who we are. That is what the church is. And so when I'm asking you this morning to embrace the church, I'm saying embrace the church as as one body, one body. Embrace the church as one family. Embrace the church as God's temple by which and in which his spirit dwells and, and just does his work in the world. So this morning I want to end by challenging all of us to, to embrace the family. You know, if I go back to last week, remember I had the, the lean hard into that, I don't remember who, who mentioned it, but remember the, my, my, my thing last week was lean hard. That's what devotion means, you know, to lean towards strongly so, or, or to lean in strongly. So I said, we're gonna lean in to the apostles teaching. Well, this morning I wanna challenge you to lean into the church. Because it's the same word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to Acts Acts 2, 42, 41. What, What is it else they're leaning into? And to fellowship, right? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And I'm suggesting to you that that word fellowship is they leaned into the church. They were devoted to the church. So I want want to give you some practical ways in which to lean into the church, to embrace the family of God, the church. Here's the first one. Embrace God's family with your heart. Now, i tell you what, I changed my notes on Friday as I'm walking, as I'm walking in my walk on Friday morning. Again, this is so mystical, but I mean, God and I are talking and and I feel like God shows me, in my heart anyway, what it means to embrace the church with your heart. So allow me to share it with you. Whether I'm right or wrong, this is what I felt like the Lord, I changed my notes because I had something different here. And this is what I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart to share with you. The, the, your heart represents the seat of your being, right? In, in, our, in our Western culture, the heart is said to be like the seat of our, uh, the core of who we are, the seat of our being. So when I'm suggesting that you embrace the church with your heart, I'm suggesting that you embrace the the church with the core of your being. And what I think the Lord means by that is he wants you to to find your identity in the church. Find your identity in Him, but find your identity also in the people of God. Let let the people of God, embrace the people of God as your family so that you find your your purpose and your worth and your significance in Him. Again, this is under Jesus, right? We, We have to find those things in God, not in other people. But find significance and worth also in the fact that you belong to God's family. You're a part of his family. So let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit. So when I think about my biological family, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that my heart, my identity is wrapped up in those six kids and, and their spouses and my grandchildren. They, they, they are in a sense my identity. I am their dad. I am her husband, I am their granddaddy, right? Our identities are intertwined and my heart is towards them. I, I, I don't think that, I don't, I don't want to find my identity apart from them. I want, to, I want you to know that I'm their dad, I'm their granddad. I, I want you to know that I love them, that I, that I am absolutely connected to them. I held my newest grandson just the other day and it was instantaneous. Well, I said just the other day, a few months ago. It was instantaneous. I mean, the connection to that little boy was, I can't explain it, but he's me and I'm him. You know? And what I'm trying to say to you is that when, when I'm saying embrace the church with your heart, I'm saying find that same identity with God's people find that same connection with God's people. And I can't explain it for myself, but I'll tell you this. When Jimmy fell in love with Jesus, he fell in love with God's people at the same time. And they were inextricable for me. I I know that doesn't happen to everyone, but that's how it happened to me. And and the church became my people, these are my peeps. I mean, the, the, I, I was identifying with those folks, you know? And, and that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you, embrace the church with your heart. I'm saying find your identity with those people who love Jesus and who are the body, who are the family, who are the temple of God. Find, find, some, find your identity um, in them. That's what I'm asking you to do. Um, how, how do you do that? And let's go back to last week real quickly. Is is this a, is this an emotional thing or is this a willful thing? And, and 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 yes, it's both. I mean, I don't know how to I don't know how to help you find or have the heart where it's emotive and you're and you you know I don't know how to help you do that. But you know, marriage is sort of like that, isn't it? We enter into marriage; it's usually emotively driven. There's passion. There's there's uh, desire. Um, there's what do we call that infatuation, right? But you know how marriage continues. It doesn't continue with infatuation. It continues with commitment. It continues with decision. And it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this. It's it's just an absolutely incredible line. He said, "It's you know this is how Americans think, not American Christians. This is how Americans think. Love will keep us together. Love will make the marriage." Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a young couple who was getting married from prison, and he said, it's not love that'll keep your marriage, it's your marriage that'll keep your love. In other words, it's your commitment to your marriage that's going to make you... Uh, that love that wanes, that comes and goes, that ebbs and it ebbs and comes, it, you know, that that commitment is what's going to keep you through, through that. So, I would say to you, um, you know, f- Fall in love with the church and love it from your heart and, and embrace it from your heart. And by that, find your identity with God's people. Some of you, church is something you come to. It's something you come to on Sunday morning, but your identity's not wrapped up with God's people. These aren't your peeps. This is just where you go on Sunday morning. And, and even then, a lot of times, it's because you feel like it. Not because these are my people, this is my family, this, I'm one body with them, I'm the temple of God, I can't help but be with them when they gather. And, and so I'm, I'm asking you to pray and ask God, God change my heart so that I'm embracing. And listen, if we're gonna change the community, you've got, we've got to embrace the church. We've got to embrace God's family, God's temple, God's body. If we don't, we're not gonna change anything. We're not gonna affect anything. Number two, I'm sorry, I'm I'm going kinda slow here. Embrace God's family with your mind. How you think affects what you do. It just does, it can't help it. How you think affects how you live, what you do. So, So Paul tells the Philippian church in one of his apostle teaching letters, he says to them, you know this, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever's excellent, if anything's worthy of praise, what does he say to do? Think on these things. Think on these things. If you're going to embrace the church, you, you, you've got to embrace it with your with your mind, you got to think on these things. This is why it is so important, parents listen, if you're, if you're homeschooling your children, this is why it's so important that you teach your children to think about the world through a biblical lens which we call worldview. Your worldview is the lens by which you examine the world. And by the way, folks, listen, wake up, man. Most Americans in our culture, they no longer share our worldview if they ever did. They don't look at the world the way you and I do. And we like to think that everybody looks at the world the way we do, and it's just a few people out there that are disagreeing with us. It's not that way. It's not that way. But this is why it's so important that you teach your young ones, that that when they're in that that formative, you you teach them what worldviews are. You teach them how people look at the world through different lenses and you teach them to look through God's lens at the world. You give them that Christian worldview. But here's my point as it relates to the topic today. How you think about the church is going to affect how you are with the church. How you think about the church is going to affect whether you embrace the church. So if in your mind you believe that the the church is the family of God and it's important and it's a priority and it's consequential, then you'll treat it like that. But if you don't think that way, you're not gonna behave that way. In fact, in fact I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. Look at what you do and then work backwards because what you do is really coming from how you think. So just look at what you do. If you wanna know what you think, look at what you do. That's true for me, it's true for all of you. If you really wanna know what you think, look at what you do because our thinking affects what we do. Now let me go back to my biological family. Uh, man, I think about them. I think about them often. I think about them with great affection. I think about, I think about all the good stuff with them. I, I don't, you know, have there been hurts? Have my children hurt me? Has there been things that, that I've done to hurt them or stumbles or whatever? Yes, absolutely, but man, I don't think on those things. I think on the kindnesses. I think on, the, I think on all the good stuff about my family. And you that's what we have to do with the family of God. We, we have to think about the good stuff. Think about all our victories and, and, and think about the church, the way God wants you to think about the church because it'll affect whether you embrace her or not. Number three, embrace God's family with your time. Never known two people to fall in love who haven't desired to spend time with each other. I mean, time and love, they go hand in glove with each other. If you love something, you spend time with it. If you don't love it, you don't spend time with it. Simple math, love equals uh, time, time equals love. I think that's true. You know, in light of this point, I decided to ask Anne, and she felt like we spent enough time together. Not really, she texted me back from the other room. <laughs> I'm just kidding, we were in the same room, sitting on a couch side by side. <laughs> to embrace the family, to love the church, is to spend time with her and to distance yourself from the church. To do that, it's antithetical. It's not embracing the church. It's not loving the church. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to be honest. When when I'm saying, hey, let's embrace the church so that we can change our community, it it means we have to love the church, embrace the church, and I'm trying to use that word, embrace the church with, with our time. Number four, embrace the church family with your hands. James calls us to be doers of the word rather than hearers of the word. A loving Christian is a serving Christian. Faith without works is dead. The things that we do as followers of Jesus are the outflow or the result of us loving Jesus. And so I love my immediate family. I love my children. And so I I ride to Pennsylvania to help my son build a wall. Or I drive over to Norfolk to help my daughter fix her door, or I go to, or do I go to Lynchburg and help my son build a pantry and then help him put a roof on a shed? And you know, do you think it? You think it bothers me? Do you think I hate doing that? Do you think I? You know, you think I don't want to do that? Man, I want to do that. I want to do that. Why? Because man, I've embraced my family. I love my family. And you know, and if you'll embrace the family of God, if we embrace the family of God, we're going to do it with our hands. <laughs> We're going to be serving. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be just giving of ourselves to, to meet the family's needs. I'm always amazed. I think it's on Fridays, but I'm always amazed when the little red car pulls up here and Carolyn gets out and she cleans the buildings down here she vacuums by herself. I'm always amazed when I, you know, happen to be here late one evening in, in uh, Mike Carlson's in the chapel, out whenever to vacuum in his iPod and his, uh, his uh, listen to podcasts, vacuuming the, the, the chapel. I'm always amazed by that. I'm always amazed when the weekends are rolling in and I see you come in and I see you mowing grass. I'm always amazed by that. I'm always amazed when I come up here and George Huber's on like a 20-foot ladder on a little roof where he has no business being with a scrub brush up there scrubbing the siding at the very top. I'm always amazed by that. George, get down, what are you doing that for? You know, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. (laughs) Which he's probably right, but um, my point is this. I, I just, I love it when you embrace the church with your hands. I love to see you and me serving. And, and I, I want you to know I never want you to outserve me. I mean, what I mean by that is sure, I'm vocational, but that doesn't exclude me from loving the church with my hands and loving the church with my abilities. First Peter four says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as as each has received a gift. This is talking about the body. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through uh, through Jesus Christ and and I don't necessarily mean that serving the church means that we just have to serve in the context of, of our small family there's lots of ways to serve that, that extend to the greater body of Christ not just to our little microcosm of the church our church family and then finally embrace God's family with your mouth and uh, what I mean by this is embrace God's family by speaking well of your church Paul talked about your mouth, and he said, let your mouth be to the building up of others around you, not to the tearing down of the same. So your, your tongue can be like a hammer, and that hammer can either build up or it can destroy and tear down. And in this local family of God, and we're part of the greater church, and, um, and it's a beautiful thing that God loved his church and died for his church and his spirit empowers us. It's a beautiful thing. And it's so beautiful that we should talk about it. We should, it should be on our lips to talk about his family, his people, his body, his temple. We should be talking good stuff about about the temple of God. In fact, I want to suggest to you that to speak sin, uh, critically, sinfully critically about his church is to talk sinfully and critically about Jesus himself. Now, before you jump to the conclusion that Jimmy's saying bury everything under the rug and don't ever address problems, I am not saying that at all. We need to do that. That's a weakness of mine. I I tend to wanna just gloss over, I I kinda buy into the verse that it's it's to my glory to overlook an offense. But you know, there are times when things need to be addressed. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, you know, within, within the family and outside the family, What should be happening is that our tongue should be talking so wonderfully about God's people, about what it is to belong to the family of God, what it is to belong to his church. We should be talking about that in such a positive way. I challenge you to do that. I ask you to do that. I love to tell you good things about my kids. And I tell you what, I do not tell you the bad things about my kids. I don't, why should I? I don't wanna do that. I wanna tell you the good things about my kids because I, I want you to know that in spite of their failures, they're glorious, they're good, they're my kids. And so I talk the good stuff up. Why, why, do, why don't we do the same with regard to the body of Christ? Why don't we do the same with regard to our family? Here and again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we don't, that we don't address things but that need to be addressed, but I am saying why aren't we just with our tongue talking good stuff about God's people and God's church and what he's doing. I love it when I, and again, this is social media, but I love it when I open my Facebook and there's a post from Eric. I'm not talking about one of those crazy ones he posts all the time, but every once in a while, Eric will post this thing that says, man, come join me at my church family this morning. I love my church family. And he'll often have posts like that, you know? So yeah, you can do that kind of thing too. But, but, but even more than that, why don't we just... Talk good about God's people to everybody that we run into face-to-face. Why don't we just talk about God's church and talk about its goodness? And it doesn't have to be the goodness of our church family. It could, it could be the goodness of, of another church family. In fact, let me, let me give you an example. So yesterday I spent the day with Jamie and Nancy and Nancy was telling me of a, of a sister church. I'm trying to remember what church it was. Oh, Smithfield Assembly. You know, and they've adopted the staff at what, at what, school, what school is it? Hardy, they've adopted the staff at Hardy Elementary. And so every month they're taking this huge basket of goodies down there, you know, for the staff and they're keeping it stocked. And they're just saying, hey, we love you. And if there's anything you need, like notebooks or whatever, we want to provide it. And I know Nancy wants us to do that in Surrey and I'm all for that. So if you, Nancy's willing to kind of give us leadership, aren't you? (laughs) How's that for putting somebody on the spot, right? But Nancy cannot do that alone. So if you would be willing to help her, let, let's, that's something we can do. That would be just a, a great way to serve the three schools here in, in, in Surrey, you know. But, but, but here's my point. My point is simply, we need to talk good about what God's doing in his church and not just in our local church family, but in, in any church around us. Let's talk good about God's people. We are the body of Christ, not just Bacon's Castle family, but we are one with every sister church in Surrey and Alawite, and we need to, we need to speak like that and speak lovingly through, through our mouth like that. Don't forget my point of this talk. My point has been we change the world by embracing God's family. I really believe that. We embrace it by loving his church, by loving the local expression of his church. And what is that? We're the body of Christ, we're the family of God, and we're the temple of God. So embrace the family with your heart, with your mind, with your time, your hands, and embrace with your mouth. Now, I'm out of time, so I'm not gonna do it. I I had a a thing I wanted you to listen to, but it's like seven minutes long, so I'm not gonna show it, but it was about, it was about a church in New Jersey and just how they, how they loved each other. And maybe at some point in the future, I'll give you, give you a chance to listen to that. But as I was listening to Meredith this morning, I thought, Lord, if I could have just put Meredith's words at the end of my talk, if I could have just put what Meredith said at the end of my talk, that was the picture that I want you to leave with. I mean, that was one of our shining moments, you know, as a church family, what Meredith was sharing. That was a shining moment for us. And and so, you know, but we can have we have lots of shiny moments. Let's let's talk about them. Let's 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 share them. Let's embrace the family of God. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at bacon'scastle.com. Also, check out our website at bacon'scastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey Be blessed.